So the prayer of a disciple, Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Today's passage is seemingly straightforward and very encouraging. Pray and God will answer. But it's also very easy, I think, to get the wrong end of the stick and think that prayer is just about asking God for stuff and that these verses are a guarantee of success. And so in our expectations, we can easily turn God into a divine slot machine. For the younger ones, that's a big machine where you put a piece of metal in, which is a coin, something you've probably never seen, into a little slot, and out comes your packet of crisps or your can of Coke or chocolate bar, a divine slot machine, a divine dispenser of goodies. All I have to do is ask. Jesus promises God will answer. Great stuff. But in fact, we will come quickly unstuck if we think that way or pray that way. Because the reality is that all of us in this room have experienced or will experience the exact opposite of what we read here. We will experience or we have experienced the discouragement and sometimes desperation of unanswered prayer. The unanswered prayer for the healing of a loved one, for the struggles of a child, their health, their schooling, their career, for children that have grown up and seem to have strayed from the Lord. The unanswered prayers for the job that doesn't work out, the relationships that go wrong. So is Jesus saying something that's not true, that will just lead us to disappointment and even disillusionment with God? Well, I hope as we go through the passage, we'll see that's certainly not the case. But however well we understand this passage and apply it, one thing we still cannot do is make God answer our prayers in the ways we want him to. So even as we explore this passage, and I hope see some helpful things, at the end of the day, we're going to be left with a choice. Will I still trust God, even if there seems to be no answer to my prayers? Even if I don't find what I hoped for, even if the door isn't opened? That's the challenge that goes with understanding this passage. Unanswered prayer is a reality. But we do want to dig into this passage and see what Jesus is saying to us. Now, to understand it, it's vital we, rem we remember where we are. Not talking about Abbey Church, but where we are in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already laid down some incredibly important foundations about prayer that we need to keep in mind as we come to this particular focus on asking. And for his hearers, Jesus, remember, has only just said these things. For us, it's been several weeks because we're going through bit by bit, but it still be in their minds. So if you like, a first point is remember how to pray, Matthew 6. Remember, we're told there in verse 6 that we are to pray in secret, to pray to our heavenly father in that inner room, that prayer closet, to develop our life in him through communion with him. So prayer is not a slot machine exercise. Prayer is part of a relationship, a relationship with our Father in heaven. And because it's directed to our Father in heaven, Jesus goes on to say we don't have to babble on because our Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we come to him with confidence. And he also gives us that pattern that we should follow, the pattern called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer that Martin Owen took us through a few weeks ago. And there we see the priorities of our praying should not just be our needs, but first God's name, that his name would be known, hallowed. For God's kingdom, 
for God's will to be done in our lives on earth here as it is in heaven. And that comes before we begin the petitions for our daily bread. And it's a helpful reminder as we focus in this morning on asking. And in the Lord's Prayer, it's our daily bread we're to ask for, not the daily lottery. We bring our needs to God as our Father. And in that prayer, we also see that if we want to come with confidence to God, then we need to have sorted out our relationships here on earth. Forgive us as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Sometimes a block to answered prayer is our own unforgiveness. Sometimes a block might be that we wander away from God. We fall into temptation. So Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is the foundation that Jesus has already laid about prayer. And on top of that foundation, we were also reminded a few weeks ago by Andrew as we looked at Matthew 6, 25 to 34, that we don't need to be worried or anxious as we come to our Father. Do we trust that God cares for us more than the birds? 6 verse 26. Do we trust as we pray, as we ask, that our Heavenly Father knows that we need all these things, food and clothing, chapter 6 verse 32. And do we realize his promise that if we genuinely seek first God's kingdom, he will add to us the things we need. So before we think about asking, seeking, knocking, we need to remember that sometimes we don't see answers to prayer because we are living an unaligned life, if you like, one that is focused more on self than God's kingdom. A life that is not living out the truths we've already seen of judge not, as we saw last week, of do unto your neighbors as you would like them to do to you. The heart of the Lord, Jesus says in verse 12. So we've got to keep all that in mind before we come to these very straightforward verses about asking. But what does Jesus say? Well, ask, verse 7, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Ask, seek, knock. Three simple words, all describing prayer. Each of these are active words, things that we do. And if we don't do them, we shouldn't expect anything to happen. God doesn't force us to pray. So it's up to us. Will I ask? Will I seek? Will I knock? And the encouragement is there in verse 7, isn't it? If I ask, it will be given to me. If I seek, I will find if I knock, the door will be open to me. But notice there that if asking, seeking, knocking depends on me, on us, the answer does not. We do not control the outcome. It is up to God to act. It is he who will give to us. He's the one who will open the door to us. And even though maybe you will find sounds sort of active on our part, actually, we can only find what God puts there. So we're still not in control even of that. So the simple truth is that ask, seek, knock is our part. It will be given to you. You will find it will be open to you is God's part. And that's where prayer gets tricky, frustrating, because much as we'd like to, we can't force an answer from God. We can't take anything. We can only receive what is given when it's given. So although this is encouraging, these words to ask and it will be given to you. There is also the challenge inherent in that to hold on in faith until we see that answer. We were thinking yesterday in the men's breakfast, 
in Romans 4 about the life of Abraham, how he had a promise and he had to wait many, many years until he even just got the beginning of the fulfillment of it. And we saw some of the, the deviations he made on the way. So there is hope for all of us. But when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, he's not talking about a quick two minute God, hope you're there prayer which is sometimes I know all we can manage, or looking for something the way my sons do. After about 30 seconds, they give up. Mom, can't find it. And of course, it's right in front of them. Or a knock on the door, as modern delivery people do. They're down the path before you even got down to the door and they've left it, COVID and all that kind of stuff. There's a sense here of ongoing prayer. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. That's how the New Living Translation puts it. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's slightly more of a paraphrase, but it's not inappropriate. Because Jesus again repeats everything in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And there, in both 7 and 8, there's a kind of sense of this is ongoing. The one who is asking, the one who's seeking, the one who's knocking. This is not just a one-time event. So the one asking repeatedly, continually receives. Notice too there, it's everyone who asks. Doesn't even put, it has to be a Christian. Everyone who asks. God's generous grace and mercy is on display. As we saw back in chapter 5, verse 45, God, our Heavenly Father, makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. But of course, in this context, it's going to be his children who do most of the asking. But the one seeking, repeatedly ongoing, will find to the one knocking, repeatedly ongoing, it will be opened. In other words, we need to pray with persistence, a bold persistence that just keeps on and on. In fact, we see that really well in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11. There, Jesus gives this same teaching of ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened to you. But he he precedes it with a parable. To illustrate it, he tells a story, and no need to flip there, I'll summarize it, of a friend who has a visitor late one night, um, probably thinking of a context of some kind of Judean village or Galilean village, and this friend shows up from out of town, and he's under obligation as a host to look after him, and he has no food left in the closet. He's only got his daily bread, and it's gone. So under the obligations of hospitality, his honor was depending on this, the honor of the family, the honor of the village. He thinks, what do I do? Well, he runs to his neighbor, knocks on the door at night and says, can I have three loaves of bread? And the guy in good grumpy fashion says, no chance. I'm in bed. Remember, this is probably a one room house. The kids are next to me. The food's over there. The door's barred. I'm not getting up. And what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 11, verse eight? He says this, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then he says, so I tell you, this is Jesus, verse nine, ask, seek, knock. This parable illustrates the kind of praying he's talking about here. It's interesting how different English versions translate what the NIV has as boldness. It's a word that doesn't really have an exact correspondence for us in English, and especially in our culture, which is not governed by the rules of honor and shame as they were in those days. The ESV puts impudence, the NRSV, persistence, the RSV, great old-fashioned word, importunity. Go look it up. Closest, though, I think, is almost the word brash, lack of shame. Someone who can say, I don't care what others think. 
And that would be an extremely strong sentiment in that culture. And I like how the Christian Standard Bible puts it. Because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Because of his shameless boldness. No shame. He's just going to go and ask at this inappropriate time, late at night. Just keep on asking until his friend gets out of bed. And boldness to ask for generous provision. So the question for us is, are we going to ask, seek, and knock in this way? Not care or worry about what anyone else thinks. Ask boldly for what we need and more. And ask, seek, knock until we get an answer from God. And that sense of persistence comes through even more strongly in another parable Jesus tells, Luke chapter 18, the story of the widow and the unjust judge. Jesus even begins that parable by saying, I'm telling this to you so that you will always pray and not give up. I won't go into the story now, but the key point is this. A defenseless widow without any rights, she couldn't even appear in court as a woman, gets justice from an unjust, uncaring judge. How? Through persistence. And there is a how much more illustration in this. If she, this widow, can get justice from that guy, then how much more, Jesus says in verse 8 of Luke 18, how much more should God's chosen ones get an answer to their prayers from a loving and just judge? So ask, seek, knock, and keep on asking, keep on seeking, knocking with this shameless boldness, with this unflagging persistence. That's what Jesus is talking about in those simple words, ask, seek, knock. But there is a question there. Why do we think Jesus uses three different words there? Now, ask is certainly predominant. That's what he's going to go on and illustrate in verses 9 to 11. We're going to get there in a moment. But is there something different about seeking and knocking? Well, there's certainly a lot of overlap. And we did have a bit of a discussion about this in our community group on Wednesday. But these are all slightly different facets, maybe, of prayer. And so although there's overlap in meaning, I think each word adds something new. Asking is no mystery. If you've ever had children or looked after children, you know all about asking. Ask for what you need. Ask for what you want. It's a simple thing that children do. But seeking and knocking, I think, bring in a little bit more that turn this from that slot machine mentality, that utilitarian kind of relationship with God, into something much more. That kind of, he gives me what I ask, so I'll keep coming back. And remember the context. We've already noted it. Jesus has just told them, for us it was three or four weeks ago, but for them it was just seven verses ago, what they should be seeking. What does he tell them to seek? Seek first the kingdom of God. So when they hear seeking, I'm sure their minds flip back to that. that all these things they may be asking about will be added to them if they seek first God's kingdom. Have we become or can we become a bit me first, me too in our praying? Or do we remember that we're supposed to be seeking first God's kingdom? And given the many times in the Old Testament we're told to seek God, I think it's likely that would also come to their minds. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Chronicles 16, 10 to 11. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek it's what God wants us to seek. Psalm 27, verse 4, beautiful verses. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, 
to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Is that the one thing for us? Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jeremiah 29, 13, when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. I wonder if you noticed those last two verses. It wasn't just seeking, it was finding. Seek the Lord while he may be found. You'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we don't just seek stuff. We seek God himself. That's just a sampling we could go on. As we often like to say, we need to learn to seek the giver, not just the gifts. As one writer, American pastor puts it, we come asking and discover relationship. We come seeking gifts and we often get them, but the greatest gift, the one we're really after and the one we're guaranteed to receive is the giver himself. And how about knock? Well, if nothing else, knocking implies going to see someone. You knock to enter into the house of someone else. A picture that Jesus himself uses in his desire to enter into a relationship with us. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Knocking adds just that little bit more to the picture. And as we perhaps take it within the whole of scripture to a picture of table fellowship with the one we pray to. And isn't it amazing that that's the one where it says it will be open to us. God is going to do that. He's going to welcome us to his table as we will celebrate later on. The same pastor says we come for gifts and we get the giver. And we find ourselves seated at his table, welcomed, accepted, and loved, being fed in the warm presence of the loving God. So yes, ask, seek, knock. Bring your needs to God. But more than that, seek his presence. Enter into fellowship with him. That is the kind of prayer life that Jesus is calling us to, not just through these verses, but throughout the Sermon on the Mount. There is no slot machine guarantee. There is only a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. But in these verses, we can ask with confidence. And that is what the next few verses tell us, verses 9 to 11. And to make his point, we have those two simple illustrations. Also have a how much more kind of application. We Jesus paints an unimaginable scenario. Is there any parent, he says, whose child asks for bread and they'll give him a stone? They've got a bread roll and a stone. They look sort of similar. Verse 9. And the answer is, of course, of course not. Is there any parent, verse 10, whose child asks for a fish and will give them a snake, an unclean animal, by the way? He wouldn't be able to eat or shouldn't eat. And the answer again is, no, of course not. And as you think of the situation, bread and fish, that staple food for a family living by Lake Galilee, where Jesus is teaching, where many of them would come from. And they would think, of course, if your child is hungry and needs food, you would never play such a cruel trick on them like that. In Luke's version, it's worse. It's uh, scorpions and uh, I can't remember the other one, but... So there's a how much more application here. Verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If we as imperfect parents, and I think he uses the word evil there to make the contrast more vivid, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God in heaven, our Father, do that? He is perfectly good. He is abundantly generous. And so we can ask with confidence because we come to a loving, gracious, heavenly Father, as we've seen in the Lord's Prayer and in everything we've read about prayer. All our asking is in the context of that family relationship with God. Our Father in heaven knows what we need even before we ask. So ask confidently, just like a child would that has had loving parents give them what they need. Commendator R.T. France says about this passage, God's care is, of course, far more than even the best human parent can give, but it is never less. The point is not that human parents are incapable of cruelty or neglect of their children, but that our inbuilt assumption of what parenting ought to be like is a valid pointer towards the greater parental concern of the Heavenly Father. The greater parental concern of the Heavenly Father. In English, he loves us, he cares for us as our Father. And so within that framework, we can ask confidently. Within that framework, we know he will give, says there, good gifts. And of course, the corollary to that is something is not good for us, he will withhold it maybe for reasons we don't understand at the time. And so we don't always receive, as indeed we as parents will say no to our children on occasion. Sweets before bed, for example. But let's not lose the force of this point. We can ask confidently because our loving Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts. And I think that brings us back to where we started in a way. How do we square these verses up? when God seems to be silent, where we don't get what we ask for. Sometimes it's obviously the wrong thing, maybe just the wrong time. But sometimes we just don't know why. Even though we've asked confidently, persistently, with shameless boldness, and what things seems to be a good, reasonable thing, the healing of a loved one, the salvation of family members, and yet God does not answer. We don't find. The door's not opened. So we come back to that question, will we still trust that God is a loving Heavenly Father? This post on Facebook caught my eye from a friend, used to be with ambassadors, he's living in South Africa, and he reposted something he posted, well, quite a few years ago now, 2017, and the title is 46 Beautiful Days, 28th of February 2017, to Friday, April, 14th of April, 2017. After 10 years, this is his post of trying for a baby. While I was in the shower, two weeks before we found out my wife was pregnant, God spoke to me and said, you're going to have a daughter. You must call her Olive. He gets lots of words like that. He's a great guy. He says, the fruit of an olive tree is like the rich blessings of God in the lives of believers. Psalm 51.10. The olive tree, rich in fruit, symbolizes a mother who enriches her home with her children, the fruits of her love. Psalm 127.3 My greatest memory for me as a dad is my olive lying on me skin to skin. The most beautiful thing in life is feeling your child's heartbeat and them at perfect peace. 
must have forgotten that with three teenagers. And then he goes on to say, I miss my daughter. She died on Good Friday, 2017. It is good because Christ showed his great love for mankind. And he goes on, I guess God's greatest joy in life is those deep moments in prayer when he feels our heartbeat. I guess that's why his tangible presence comes in the room in prayer like that. People always ask me how I feel about God taking my daughter. It hurts deeply, and I don't fully understand, but I'm more than grateful to have met her, and I know without a shadow of doubt that God is good and rich in love. So I'm able to 100% trust him because he is who he says he is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34, 8. Very emotional, moving words from this friend of mine. God is good. God is rich in love. But there are so many unanswered prayers, so much grief and sorrow, so much heartache and suffering. And Jesus enters into that. He faced his own unanswered prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows our tears and our heartache, and he hears and holds all our prayers. And one day he will wipe away every tear. And he will show us how he has stored up all of our prayers. So no, it's not as simple as ask, seek, knock, and boom, God does the miracle you're looking for. But today's passage encourages us to ask and keep asking until we find God to seek and go on seeking until we find the giver and not just the gift, and to knock and go on knocking until we fellowship with our Father in heaven. Yes, to pray with that shameless boldness, with perseverance, with confidence as we come to our good, good Father in heaven who loves us. And as we do that, even in the unanswered prayers, we find life is immeasurably richer in relationship with him. Let's pray.